Senior Vice President and General Counsel of NetApp. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Richard. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, so I'm excited to do this. And you're still here, so that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with, um, you're obviously the General Counsel of NetApp. Um, tell me a little bit about like, uh, you know, what, what you like best about that job and what are some of the challenges that you face uh, in that role? Sure, sure. So uh, NetApp is a, a Fortune 500 data management, data storage company. It's, it's a little more than 20 years old. Um, so in many ways, it's, it's a classic Silicon Valley company that was, was started by some brilliant founders, and it grew very, very quickly. Um, and today, you know, it's a, it's a company of significant scale operating globally. The, I would say, and I'm about to celebrate, by the way, my six-year anniversary with the company tomorrow, I believe. Um, so that's kind of exciting. But the company's in a very different place than it was when I started six years ago. And a lot of that is, is a issue that's facing many of the Silicon Valley companies that were the traditional heavyweights in, in the in the data center. So think about the NetApps, the HPs, the Cisco's, you know, the, these companies who, who grew very, very quickly and very, very large by virtue of, of all of the enterprises around the world building large data centers to, to manage their technology. Uh, the transition that is happening and is happening quite rapidly are, are driven by companies like Amazon Web Services and Microsoft Azure, these what we call hyperscaler companies. And they, they are driving to commoditize, essentially commoditize the data center and doing it not only by um, selling uh, their services at a very low price, but doing everything as a service. So, you know, software as a service was the hot thing a couple of years ago. And, and you know, Salesforce, companies like that pioneered that. Um, nowadays, infrastructure as a service, you can basically rent your entire infrastructure with a credit card through Amazon, and that's putting a lot of pressure on the traditional companies like NetApp. It's hard to say traditional in 20 years, but but yes, we're a traditional company. So when you when you ask and think about the, the challenges that we face, the, the big challenge we face is how do we transform our business to become not only competitive, but also compatible with companies that want to move some of their infrastructure to the cloud. And, you know, it's not going to go there overnight, but, but different applications and different types of work streams are, are moving very quickly to cloud-based applications. Our premise at NetApp is that data, right, data is the foundation of the digital economy. And every single company creates value based on their data, whether, you know, you're a data analytics company or you're, you're just a mom and pop shop that needs data to, to run their business. And we want to help the world manage the world's data in a seamless, um, technology agnostic type of way so that companies don't have to worry about sending all their data to the cloud and not being able to get it back or putting half of it in the cloud to do test and test and development, but bring it back. You know, all, all of those really tough technical problems that I'm not qualified to uh, solve, but I'm qualified to help the company figure out how we're going to build the right kinds of economic models, the right kinds of structures to, to make that happen. So, so that's the business, that's the business challenge. The, Management challenge, frankly, is um, as a general counsel, as one of the executive team, we, we have to transform our internal businesses too. And transformation often feels like a coded word for cost cutting and job cutting. Mm. And certainly in the last couple of years, we've, we've had a few waves of that. And that's a very 
Uh, that was unique uh, and quite painful for our company to get through. We hadn't had one, and we'd never had a layoff in 20 years. Um, so there's a there's a cultural impact to doing that. Uh, that is a management challenge, and there's a you know there's just a, a frankly how do we not just look at cost cutting, but truly transforming our business to operate more efficiently, more effectively, more simply. And I, that's quite an exciting challenge from my perspective, and it's one where I think our team, our legal department, can play a big role. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me a little bit about some of the transformations you've actually made. You've been there six years. What are some of the transformations you've put in Sure, place? sure. Some of these are going to seem really simple, but but I, I will tell you they've been quite impactful. Um, the first, I'll, I'll just tell you a story about my first couple of weeks in the company. Yeah. Uh, so this goes back six years, and and like a lot of companies in in technology, we have a a tax structure that runs um, runs offshore business through our our European headquarters in Amsterdam. And the reason I say all that is it, it means that Amsterdam has to sign off on revenue contracts just like the U.S. does when we have large contracts. So I come into the business and and I see every day between the CEO CFO's desk and and my desk these three and four foot stacks of paper. <laughs> and I asked, well, what are these stacks of paper doing? And the answer was, well, we, we pack them up and we ship them to the Netherlands so they can be signed. These are contracts. And then they ship them back here so we can sign them. And we have to get wedding signatures on all of these things in order to start the RevRec process. And I said, well, how, how long does it take? Well, you know, it takes a day or two to get them over. And sometimes they might sit around or if it's a Friday, maybe they get done on Monday and then they send them back and they go to the mail room and the mail room brings them here after two days. Anyway, long story short, you know, there's a seven day cycle with with contracts almost every single day that are impeding, frankly, the flow of revenue. And, you know, the simple answer is, why aren't we doing this electronically? <laughs> and um, there was a lot of anxiety six years ago, and, and not just at a NetApp, but at a lot of other companies, to, to adopt electronic signatures. A lot of people were worried about control. A lot of people were worried about compliance. And, you know, I think now stepping back, we measure we measure on a weekly basis how many documents we execute electronically. Hmm. And we, we use a metric that, that we know um, several other companies in the Valley use as well, uh, that you save about $200 per document when you can do it with an electronic signature. And so in the last six years, I mean, we've literally saved millions and millions of dollars. Hmm. More importantly, we've saved thousands of days of time. Um, and in a world that we live in, you know, every day really counts. So, you know, that's that's a very simple one. Another, you know, transformation, I would say that, that we've, it's a journey that we've been on for a while. Um, and we started it several years ago, but we've tried to, to reshape the complexion of our own organization hmm. to be more efficient and more responsive to the business. So, so there are two, and, and also to operate at a predictable financial level. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people who actually really likes metrics and, and I don't mind being judged by um, the metrics that the that the consultants will bring in and say, this is how your OPEX stack should look and this is how your legal team should cost. Um, I think we can differentiate ourselves positively, frankly, in that area. So, so we've done a couple of things. One is we've actually worked very hard to put legal headcount, NetApp legal people in lots of different places in the company geographically. Hmm. So we now have, for a department that currently sits at about 70 people, it used to be quite a bit bigger, and that's part two. Um, 
with 70 people, we're sitting in 15 different com- countries and about 22 or 23 different cities globally. Hmm. And that's probably double where we were when we started. And, and the thesis there is, you know, we do a lot of business with the financial services industry, but we didn't have anyone in New York City, for example. Hmm. We have two people there now. Um North Carolina, RTP North Carolina is one of our biggest sites. We do a lot of professional services work and a lot of engineering there. We didn't have any people there from from the legal standpoint. We now have two people there now. And there are two sides to to the reason why there's goodness in that, in my mind. One is just from a risk management standpoint, you know, it's good to have our team there to be consultative when issues crop up in real time, right? We can't expect... You know, the New York office to, to wait a couple of days to be able to get in touch with somebody. And then the second is just being part of a team. And we want to be connected globally to the, the engines of the company. So we've done that both, not only both in the United States, but also internationally. And, and as I mentioned, you know, in 15 countries, we feel really good about that. But, but the, second, the second point is, um, I'm sure you've heard the term LPO, legal process outsourcer. I, I think when, when you mention that term, a lot of people all of a sudden immediately think, you know, a giant warehouse in India where people are reviewing documents for right. litigation. And, and certainly that seems to be how the industry emerged. But for many years now, we've been developing a, a much more, um, a, a larger relationship with what people would call an LPO. I, I would call them more of a boutique LPO. Um, and we work with them in every part of our business and in every uh, geography where we do business. So we do have some back office support in India, but we also, um, through this group, we work uh, almost full time with contract negotiators who've got 20 years of experience you know, mm. doing big deals. We work with, uh, and they, they employ people in Europe that help with a lot of the work that we do. And so through this group, we actually, you know, what I say is we keep about 25 people busy full time. And we also have flex capacity that, and have had probably as many as 60 people from that group working with NetApp in a very seamless way. Mm. It's, it's something that we've put a lot of effort into and, and our partner, the LPO has put a lot of effort into. And I think that gives us a strategic advantage, not only in terms of managing cost, but also in managing capacity mm. so that our internal clients uh, in many cases will, will know the name of, of quote unquote, I'm using air quotes here, even though there's no video, <laughs> the, their lawyer or their legal person. And that person might happen to actually be a, a formal employee of, of this LPO, mm. but we've, we've integrated them very intimately into mm. our organization. It's been a really effective relationship for us. So why not bring all that in house? Wouldn't that be better? Or is that because you can't get the staffing in those countries or what's the reason you wouldn't want to just bring all that more in house then? Well, th- so there, there are, there are two reasons that are inherently linked to cost management. Um, and, and in a world like the world that we've been in, where we've actually been reducing costs over the last couple of years, um, it gives us a level of control. So one is we can we can shut the spigot off very, very quickly and very, very suddenly. And uh, while we don't ever want to have to do that, we, we can manage it on a quarter by quarter basis. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a group that is very... Um, I'm searching for the right word. They're a good partner in helping us manage to, to those kinds of um, issues. The, the second piece is uh, it, it just well. The second piece is also inherently cost oriented. And, and here, here's just a quick data point. Um, 
If you think about the three primary drivers of human cost inside a, a legal department, it's going to be the outside lawyers that you need to bring in when you need to bring them in, the inside staff that you have, that's what you would call a semi-fixed cost, and then this LPO type of cost for, for those who employ it. And from our, from our costing, the average total cost of an outside lawyer, this is kind of the blended average over the course of a period of time, it's about $350, $400 an hour. Mm. The average cost of our internal headcount is uh, about a quarter of that. Mm. And the average cost of, of our partner, our LPO partner, is about a quarter of that still. Interesting. So um, it's, a, it's a very nice way to keep costs down, but also with the effort that we put into the relationship, keep the level of performance very, very high. So that that's how we manage it. And uh, and I would say when I started again, th- now I'm thinking a lot about my six-year anniversary, that, that kind of relationship didn't exist. So the only two components of cost were inside people and, and outside lawyers. Um, and we've migrated probably 20 plus percent of our total human capital costs to this partner now. Now, when you talked about disparate, you know, spreading lawyers across the globe much more locally than you had in the past, from a manager perspective, though, isn't that kind of difficult to, you know, I mean, how to, does that, I mean, what, what's the downside of doing that other than, you know, you not being able to sleep? No, that's right. That's, that's, <laughs> the, that's one of the penalties you pay. That's exactly right. The, there's a deliberate choice that you make to either well, or, or, or put it this way, you know, every every manager wants to have his or her people surrounding him or her right. in, in geo because you'll even see in some of the you know, sitting on a different floor in the same building feels like having a remote worker in yeah. many cases. Yeah. So I so I totally get it. We've decided that we're we are going to use we in the legal department are going to use more effort to keep our team feeling like a team. Um, and and then take advantage of the fact that they can actually also be parts of the teams and the geos in which they sit. Mm-hmm. So in order to do that, we have to make special effort to to create cohesion and unity and sp- spirit and culture within the legal department. And we do that a couple of ways. I mean, one, the, the simplest, the most obvious, and the one that gets most often overlooked is just connection, right? Just connecting with people. So I try to do as many one-on-ones with people in remote geos as I can. Mm-hmm. That's that's not easy. Obviously, when I travel, I get a chance to see people. Um, we do hold, you know, like like a lot of other teams, we'll hold global all hands where we bring everyone together for mm-hmm. a period of time. Um, we have a particular point of view on on the value of those as creating community. So we actually invest time in when we have the when we have the opportunity to bring everyone together. It's not about bringing other executives in to talk about the company or the strategy. We, we assume we're going to be good at knowing those things. Mm. We work on what does it mean to be part of a team and what is our goal as a global team and, and how do we get value out of, out of our connection. So I think we have a, a fairly unique perspective on, on how we use that kind of time mm. together. Mm. Or put another way, what can we do when we're all together that we can only do when we're all together, mm. uh, which means things like communicating strategy, we can do that other ways than mm. we do. Mm. Um, recently, because of the transformation efforts and, and because of the, the, frankly, the increased pace and urgency of transformation that our new CEO has quite rightly brought to the company, um, instead of just doing quarterly all hands for the team, I hold weekly office hours. And so I'll just open a phone line and say, anyone on the team who wants to get on and ask any question can. There's nothing that's off base. There's nothing that's off limits. Hmm. And we have a very transparent culture 
um, trusting that folks in the legal department are used to handling confidential information. And so oftentimes, you know, my contract negotiator in Vienna might know something that um, his VP community around him may not know because of the transparency we have. And we think that that's helped create a level of community and trust and spirit that's, that is very helpful in how we approach our jobs. Now, you've been to GC, you've obviously been under GCs at a couple of companies, you've been the GC at a couple of companies. How would you kind of describe your kind of management philosophy and how you approach managing people? Because obviously, that's obviously one of the most important things about being the GC. I mean, there's the legal side of it, but obviously manage people. But what is kind of your philosophy on how you, you know, build the group and build the teamwork and things that you try to do? Sure. Um it's a great question, and I and I think and I actually spend a lot of time thinking about it. So if you if you came into my cubicle at NetApp and you looked at my overstuffed bookshelves, ninety five percent of those books are about management and leadership. It's something I spend a lot of time thinking about, and um, and and actually a lot of there are a lot of great podcasts out there beyond yours that are <laughs> that are good for those things too, uh, in terms of stimulating thinking. Um, so to maybe a couple of thoughts. One is. I really believe that the strength of the, I think that, I truly believe that teams can do so much more than collections of just great individuals. And that seems like an, an obvious premise, but but you don't realize the value of that team until you invest in it being a team. Mm. So I, with my, what I call my senior team, which includes leadership in Europe and leadership in, in Asia, you know, we try to get together once a quarter at least and spend time offsite thinking about what it means to be a team, and you know what are our what are our principles and what are we going to stand for and where are we going to compromise and where are we not going to compromise. And so we spend you know, not a whole lot of time talking about the direction of the business in those meetings. We talk about how do we shape our team and what are the needs for the team beyond legal skills that we want to bring to the company. Um, so, so that's one piece of it. The other is, you know, I think my job as the general counsel is to uh, prepare people to succeed in their roles. And so we have not only, obviously, great resources from NetApp. NetApp University has wonderful management resources, leadership resources, in addition to technical resources. But we've also built our own legal learning map. And that map is supposed to, it's a template for people who might be new to the department or want to um, augment their skills. And, you know, we have kind of the thoughts on from basics to very senior level types of resources that's tailored to what we think our team needs to be to be successful. Mm. Um, and that actually was an organic product created by, by our learning circles, which we could talk about in a second. <laughs> and, and then the last is, in many ways, my job is to make myself um, irrelevant. Right, so that if you know I get hit by the proverbial bus, uh, that there is a team that can carry on the business with continuity, and that there are successors who are prepared to step into my role, um, should should management and the board decide that. And uh, I probably have not talked about this publicly, but I'll say you know a, a big point of pride for me is that. Um, when we do our annual succession planning strategy for the CEO staff, uh, you, you can probably imagine the visuals. Everyone's got a PowerPoint slide where you identify people who are going to be ready in three to five years, are going to be ready in one to three years, um, and who are ready now. And, and there's a re- there's a reluctance for executives to say they've got someone who's ready now uh, for various reasons. But I've got a lot of pride. I've, there are two people on my staff I know who could step into my role tomorrow mm-hmm. if I disappeared. Mm-hmm. And I think they would have uh, the confidence of the company, the confidence of the senior staff, and um, and they're ready. And um, 
and I feel like I had a part in, in making them ready. So mm-hmm. I take a lot of pride there. Let me ask you about one question that I always wonder about for a GC is – which is how do, how do you prioritize what you're going to do? Because there are so many different things you could be doing that are valuable that you could focus on. You could spend more time with your management. You could spend more time with the business. You could spend more time on studying. You know, there's the legal side of it. There's more time you could spend. You know, how, how do you prioritize what has got to be, you know, a thousand things you could do every day that could be all very valuable? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so so there's when there's a crisis, and I'm using the small C crisis, um, but when there's a crisis, there are times where the GC just has to step in and get deeply involved. Uh, so when we had an activist investor, you know, for me, that was a place where I had to get deeply involved. When we had a CEO transition, that was a place where I needed to get deeply involved. Mm. But knock on wood, those things are usually kind of few and far between, uh, and they have been for us. So in terms of allocating my own time, you know, for NetApp, l- let me let me answer that question by talking about what our what our legal department goals are the ones that we've set and we've now actually decided work for they've worked for two years and they're a little non-traditional so so it's kind of fun to talk about um one is busting silos and building bridges the second one is enabling speed and simplicity and the third is we are all in sales and so when I think about how I'm using my time, I try to think about how am I accelerating either and either or all of those three different pieces. So in busting silos and building bridges, for me, that's about trying to connect different disparate parts of the company that are working on the same problem or working on different elements of the same problem and making sure people are talking to each other or me, frankly, being the person who tries to aggregate those different pieces and, and help people get through it. Not in a legal department, but it could be with engineering and with sales and support. The second is um, enabling speed and simplicity. That's basically our innovation agenda. And I'm very fortunate to work with folks on my legal team who have an incredibly um, strong drive to help evolve the practice to help the company move faster. So six years ago, we were talking about using electronic signature um, through electronic contracts and through new kinds of dashboarding technologies that we think help the business move faster. And we have as you can imagine, a lot of metrics to back that kind of stuff up. And then the third, we are all in sales. I mean, it, it's a joy to go and visit customers. Mm. And, um, you know, when, when we were an NFL sponsor, I, that was my account. So it was just absolutely great to go and spend time with, you know, a customer, the NFL. We all have uh, executive sponsorships. We have, excuse my line, executive sponsorships. Uh, our uh, one of our big customer events is coming up in Las Vegas, and that's an opportunity for me to go meet with a lot of customers. And so there's there's a high value placed on that. And frankly, we try to think about how we as a legal team can accelerate NetApp's penetration and distribution of its technology through our customers. And and we've got a couple of proof points to say that we've been a, very successful in driving sales for the company. It sounds like you've really given this a lot of thought, uh, more than I shouldn't say more than any guests I've talked to, but it's obviously you've given a lot of thought into you know how to run a, a legal department, the things that go into making a great legal department. Have you ever thought about after NetApp, which I realize you're not thinking about at all, but maybe going into this actually helping other legal departments or a consulting role where you actually speak on this or write on this and and help other legal departments implement some of these ideas? It's a. Um, I'm smile. I'm smiling because I get that question a lot after after talking to someone for about thirty minutes. Right. So so you're hitting the perfect time for asking that question. 
Uh, you're right. I, I don't have itchy feet to let, to leave NetApp. We've got we've got a lot of big important work to do, and I think it's going to be really exciting to see how we how we transform ourselves to be successful in this new this new kind of um, world. But uh, I do think about future quite a bit. Um, I do write occasionally. So I, I used to have a Forbes online article called The Modern General Counsel, where I got to pontificate about what I think is important. And I have a, a LinkedIn pulse uh, that I think I've published two things so far. I've got, I actually have in my backpack that I'm pointing at um, my next two articles in draft form. So so I, I actually get quite a charge out of writing, especially in that format. So uh, something that's not a law review article, I've done a couple of those. And no, those aren't fun, but but in a more confined and, and more kind of forward-looking type of format. So I do get a charge out of that, and I think I'll always keep doing that, whether it's just for myself or or to share with friends or to share more broadly. Um, but when I really look way forward, I, I, I think I'd be more interested, frankly, in running a company hmm. and um, taking a shot at doing that hmm. and using, you know, I, I'm clearly... I'm not a technologist. I don't write code. Um, I've not really ever carried a bag uh, on the sales side, but but I'm quite intrigued by the possibility of, of running a company. And um, I will say, while it, it's not the craziest thing in the world, if everyone remembers the book uh, Good to Great, mm-hmm. one, one, of the, one of the fundamentals, I think at least half of the companies profiled in that book had uh, lawyers as their CEOs during their greatness period. Really? Not that they were practicing GCs, um, right. All of them, but uh, but there is something about the analytical side of a legal education and practice that I think prepares people well for managing the complexities of of an organization. Mm-hmm. So I do have some aspiration to do that, although I haven't done anything about it yet. Well, Matt, this has been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate your taking the time. If you ever decide to go and start that company or write a book, you'll definitely have to come back and tell me about it. And if I need lawyers doing that, I'll call you. <laughs> so thank you very much, Richard. This is Richard Chu and Matt Fawcett. Thanks. 